0: الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مدللا ومن يدلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له وَأَشْهَادُ عَنَمْ مُحَمَدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Mabad, we continue with the explanation of the 40 hadith of al-imam al-Nawwi rahimahullah ta'ala And we have arrived to the end of the hadith of Jibreel alayhi salam It is mentioned by Umar ibn Khatab ثُمَّ انْطَلَقَ فَلَبِثْتُ مَلِيًا He says, and then he left And I remained for a while ثُمَّ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَا عُمَرَ أتدري من السائل؟ فقال عمر رضي الله عنه أن الله ورسوله أعلم. فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم هذا جبريل أتاكم يعلمكم دينكم. وفإنه جبريل أتاكم يعلمكم دينكم. So عمر بن الخطاب he mentioned that the questioner he left after he asked the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam about Islam and after he asked him about Iman and then he asked him about Ihsan and then he asked him about the Day of Judgment and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned that he does not know when the Day of Judgment is just as the questioner does not know when the Day of Judgment is. Then he asked about the signs. That will come before the Day of Judgment. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi he mentioned a couple of signs, and then the questioner, he left. So Umar radiallahu anhu said, I remained for a while, meaning he was just sitting there silently. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said, O Umar, do you know who the questioner was? And Ummah, he said, Allah and His Messenger knows best. And in the time of the Prophet wasallam, when one is not aware of an affair, it was befitting that he stated, Allah and His Messenger knows best. After the death of the Prophet wasallam, we only say, Allah knows best. And this is in relation to a matter that is taking place or something that has newly come about. As for a matter of the religion itself, it is allowed to say Allah and His Messenger knows best. Meaning regarding a rule or regulation of the deen. But saying Allah knows best and I don't know, this is a part of knowledge. As a nafi Rahimahullah ta'ala, he stated, Al-ilm thalath, that knowledge is three things. Al-kitabul natiq, wa sunnatul madiya wa la adri. He said, Rahimahullah, that knowledge is three things. The eloquent book, the eloquent book, meaning the Quran, and the old way, the way of the past Meaning the way of the Prophet Wasallam, And the third matter is I don't know Not that he doesn't know what the third matter is But the statement I don't know Is the third aspect of knowledge For when an individual Is asked a question And he does not know the answer It is befitting that he says he does not know for if an individual is asked a question and he gives an answer based upon ignorance, then this is an offense in the Al-Islam. And you may be the cause of someone going astray. And the Prophet Wasallam he mentioned that Allah Azza He will remove the knowledge from the people. But not just taking it away from them. But by way of the death of the scholars. And then the Prophet said, Hatta Until the point that Allah does not leave no scholar on the earth. It nas ruusan juhala, that the people then they take ignorant people as their leaders. For so So these individuals who have been taken As leaders who are ignorant, the Prophet said they will be asked questions about the religion. And they will give verdicts without knowledge. Look how the Prophet describes them. So they are astray, leading other people astray. And it shows the dangers of asking of answering or speaking about the religion. Without knowledge, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he mentions, Do not say that which you have no knowledge of. So, if a person is questioned about something in the religion and he doesn't know, he says, I don't know. Allah knows best. And we see that the Prophet he reprimanded. Some companions. As they were on a journey, and there was a companion who had wounds on his body. And he woke up in the morning in a state of major impurity. But he was afraid to take a ghusl because of the water getting into his wounds. So he went to some of the companions. And he asked him, is there a concession for him not to make the ghusl due to his wounds? Because he's afraid of the water getting into the wounds. And some of them, they said, as long as there's water, you have to make a ghusl. So he made the ghusl and he died because of the water getting into the wounds. He died as a result of that. When this news reached the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said they killed him <laughs> they themselves didn't physically take the man's life but the act of giving a religious verdict without knowledge led to his death so the prophet sallallahu mentioned ala saalu Shouldn't they not have asked when they did not know? Indeed, the cure for ignorance is the question. Then you look at the story of the boy in the, of Afwan, the man who uh, killed 99 people. The hadith in Sahih Muslim. <clears throat> After killing 99 people, the man asked the people of the land, to direct him to the most knowledgeable of the people. And they directed him to a monk a rahib. So he said to the monk, And nafsa, And I killed 99 people. Is there any toba for me? The monk said, There is no tawbah for you. He killed 99 people. So what happened? He killed the monk. And now made it 100. The scholars, they said, this is an indication of the dangers of, of speaking without knowledge. If the monk didn't know, he should have just said, I don't know, Allah knows best. But because of him saying, there is no tova for you. Allah will not forgive you. He made the man fall into a state of despair. So, What's the, what's the problem of killing one more person? So he killed the monk, but the monk, he was the cause of his own death for speaking about the religion without knowledge. He should have just been quiet if he didn't know. So these are just examples of the dangers of speaking about the religion without knowledge. If a person doesn't know, let's just say, I don't know. And if you know someone who knows, then direct the person to the one who knows. But for an individual to speak about Allah's deen without knowledge then this is a serious offense and it could lead to someone's death, whether the death of the one who has been given a false verdict or the death of the person himself and we see that when the man was directed to the scholar and he said I killed 100 people, is there any Toba for me? He said, who can come in between you and the forgiveness of Allah? There's the knowledge now. He said, but you have to leave that land that you're from and then go to this other land where the people are worshipping Allah and go there and worship Allah with them. And don't go back to that other land because it's an evil place. See now this is the knowledge given the individual the correct information, the correct guidance. So that the man can change his situation. So Umar al-Khattab, he said, Allah and His Messenger knows best. And then the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, فَإِنَّهُ جِبْرِيلَ يُعَلِّمُكُمْ دِينَكُمْ Indeed, he is Jibreel. He came to teach you your religion. The scholars extract from this That which was spoken about between the Prophet and Jibreel, these are the foundations of the religion Islam, Iman, and Ihsan. These are the three levels of the religion Islam, Iman, and then Ihsan being the highest level of the religion. Also, the mannerisms of Jibreel. And how he sat with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and questioned the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is also a part of the deen that we learn from the mannerisms. Likewise, the mannerisms of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But here, the Prophet said, Jibril came to teach you your religion. When in fact, it was the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who was answering the questions. So how is it that the Prophet says in this narration that indeed he is Jibreel, he came to teach you your religion, when he, the Prophet himself, is answering the questions. How is that? Afwan? Now, here, the Prophet attributed the act of teaching the religion to Jibreel because he was the cause of the, the, the questions being answered. He himself did not say Islam is, and then mentioned the five pillars. Iman is, and then he didn't come and then address the Prophet in this manner. He came asking questions the prophet answered sallallahu alayhi wasallam the people were listening and learning so the prophet said it was jibril who came to teach you your religion he attributed the teachings to jibril because jibril was that was the one who caused the questions to be answered so the principle that's extracted from this the one who causes something to happen and this is good or bad he takes the ruling of the one who has actually done the act. That's why you go back to the narration, with the man who took the gusu and he died, the prophet said, قَتَلُوهُ, they killed him. Right? Even though they did not physically kill him, but they were the cause of his death, so as a, it is as if they themselves killed him. So that's an example of something negative. And the one who causes something to happen as negative, being responsible for it. Here in this narration is something positive: the teachings of the Deen. So, Jibril alayhi salam, in asking these questions and the answers coming from the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi he's the one who was the cause of the teachings being taught in this situation. So, the the يأخذ حكم the one who causes something to happen Takes the ruling of the one who has done the act And this is what the Prophet, he mentioned al That the one who directs someone to something that is good He is similar to the one who has done the good So if you teach someone something from Islam And they practice that Everyone who practices that which you taught to them You get a reward for it without taking away from their reward And this is why it's important For those of us who have children That we teach our children the religion To the best of our ability Whatever we know of the deen We should pass that on to our children Likewise, those of us who are married Whatever we know of the religion We teach our wives Because whatever they practice From that which we taught them That is going to be a benefit for us even after we are dead and gone, and we leave behind our children, and our children are upholding those teachings that we gave to them, that good comes to you while you're in your grave. And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he mentioned, "إذا مات ابن آدم انقطع عمله إلا من ثلاث صدقة جارية the Prophet said when the child of Adam dies, all of his deeds are cut off, they stop, except for three things. Knowledge that is benefited from, meaning something that he taught someone or the people. Or before that, excuse me, a jariyah a continuous charity. Like a person, he builds a well in a town And the people, they take him from the water Every time someone takes from that water And benefits from the water The sadaqah, jariyah that he left behind The reward comes to him in his grave Or someone, he planted uh, an apple tree And the people, mashallah, they take from the apple tree and It's a sadaqah jariyah it's a continuous charity A person builds a masjid And the people, they come and they pray in the masjid A person... He donates masahif to the masjid. And people come and they read from the masahif. This is a sadaqah that's continuous. So the continuous charity, whatever it may be, that good comes to that person while he's in his grave. And the second thing mentioned, (laughs) ilmun yuntafa'u bi, that knowledge that the people benefit from, or knowledge that is benefited from. So your children... Whatever you teach them And they practice that And then they teach their children and their cho- That goes back to you Without taking away from their reward And this is uh, an indication of the importance Of teaching our children That which we know of the deen As I heard one of the scholars they say Don't let no one precede you In teaching your child Surah Al-Fatiha Don't let nobody teach you should be the first one to teach your child Surah Al-Fatiha What's the benefit? Every time your child prays and recites Surah Al-Fatiha which you taught to them you get a reward for it You get a reward for it So don't be so quick to just hand your child over to someone else to teach them You teach them what you can and that which you cannot teach them Yes Get someone who's qualified to teach them But whatever you can do, teach them Teach them And don't put that responsibility off On someone else If you have the ability to take care of That responsibility of educating the children And then the prophet he mentioned An righteous child who makes dua So even after your death That righteous child, that child Makes dua for you, this will benefit you in your grave. This will benefit you in your grave. That narration, the Prophet teach, teaches us the importance of leaving behind a legacy of good and not a legacy of evil because the matter is also applicable. On the other side of the coin as it relates to evil. If you taught people evil and they practice that evil, you get a portion of the sin without taking from their sin. Because they were not aware of the evil except through, by way of you. And you look at the narration where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam stated that anytime a person kills another person unjustly, a portion of the sin Goes to the son of Adam Because he was the first one To establish amongst mankind The act of killing unjustly So The son of Adam he killed his brother And in the books of Tafsir you find That This act was due to his jealousy Of his brother He was jealous of that which Allah Azza wa Jal decreed to be for his brother. As some mention, the Adam alayhi salam, when his wife Hawa will give birth, she will give birth to twins a male child and then a female child. And then when she gives birth again, she will give birth to another set of twins, a male child and a female child. So the male child from the first set of twins marries the female child from the second set. And then the male child from the second set marries the female from the first. This is in the beginning of time when mankind is just starting out. I don't know about that. So, the son from the second set of twins, his wife was the prettier of the two women. And the first... Son from the first set he wanted the woman from that first set but that's not how the rule was supposed to go so he eventually killed his brother as Allah did not accept his offering but Allah accepted from the second son so he killed his brother out of jealousy and didn't even know how to bury him Rather, he learned from a crow the issue of burying. And in any event, he killed his brother unjustly. So now, anytime someone kills someone unjustly, that sin goes back to him. Because he was the first one to do it. And this is uh, an indication of the importance Of teaching our children good and not teaching them evil and bad habits. Because the bad habits that we teach our children and they practice and they are sinful habits. Guess what? Every time they practice something from those bad habits or those sinful habits, we get a portion of that sin. Because we were the cause. So it's very important that we be good examples For our wives, our children, family members and the likes And for the people in general We don't want the people learning from us evil You know if a person is struggling with sin Then let him conceal his sin That nobody sees it So that no one takes him as an example Of what to be like And then now His scale of evil becomes filled up Because of the other people following him So the Prophet said, Indeed, he is Jibreel. He came to teach you your religion. So the hadith of Jibreel, as we covered, is considered to be the mother of the sunnah, just as Surah Al-Fatiha is the mother of the Qur'an. We move on to the next hadith. abi Abdir-Rahman, Ibn Umar, Ibn Al-Khattab, رضي الله عنهما. <laughs> قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول بني الإسلام على خمس شهادة أن لا إله إلا الله وأن محمدًا عبده ورسوله وإقام الصلاة وإيتاء الزكاة وحج البيت والصوم رمضان أخرجه البخاري ومسلم on the authority of the father of Abdur Rahman, Abdullah ibn Umar ibn al-Khattab, may Allah be pleased with them both. He said, I heard the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, say, Islam is built upon five. The testimony that none has the right to be worshipped except for Allah, and that Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, is his servant and messenger. The establishment of the prayer, the payment of the zakat, the pilgrimage to the house And fasting in the month of Ramadan This narration is collected in the Sahih of Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim Abdullah ibn Umar He is a Sahabi The son of a Sahabi And He was born After the Prophet Sallallahu became the Prophet a short period of time, or he was born a short period of time after the Prophet became a Prophet. And he followed in the footsteps of his father, as his father, Umar accepted Islam. And he followed behind his father, practicing Islam. And he is one of the companions that have the most narrations on the Prophet and Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhumah, he was very staunch as it came to following the Prophet and he was known for being one who was strict in following the Sunnah and opposing innovation in the affairs of innovation and the people of innovation. It is stated that he passed away in the year 73 or in the beginning of the year 74, Hijri. As for the narration itself, then Imam an rahimahullah, he brings this narration to reinforce that which was established in the hadith of Jabir alayhi salam as it relates to Islam being built upon five pillars. And these five pillars, these are the foundations of Islam. The foundations of the outward practice of Islam. Nam, So the Prophet ﷺ, he gave the example for Islam as being similar to a building that has five pillars that is holding it up. So nam. So, these five pillars are a must. It's a must that a person testifies to La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. It is a must that the person prays. It is a must that a person pays zakat. It is a must that the person makes the hajj. It is a must that a person fasts in Ramadan. These are obligations. As for the two testimonies of faith, then the scholars are in agreement. Whoever abandons the Shahada, then the person is not a Muslim. As the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he went to his uncle, Abu Talib, and he said, "Ya Am, لَا إِلَهَ إِلَى اللهِ كَلِمَةُ أُحَاجُ بِهَا لَكَ إِنَّ اللَّهِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Oh my uncle, say la ilaha illallah, a statement I can defend you with in front of Allah on the day of judgment. And Abu Jahl, he said, an Millati, Abdul Muttalib, are you desiring a religion other than the religion of Abdul Muttalib? And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam kept repeating to him, say la ilaha illallah. And Abu Jahl kept saying, you're going to turn away from the religion. Of Abdul Muttalib Meaning you're going to leave the religion of your father So eventually Abu Talib He established that he is upon the millah Of Abdul Muttalib He refused to say La ilaha illallah So due to his refusal Of saying La ilaha illallah He did not enter into the fold of Islam And he died As a mushrik, as a polytheist As for the shafa'ah that will take place on the Day of Judgment for Abu Talib by way of the Prophet Wasallam. this is something that is specific for the Prophet Wasallam. and the Shifa'ah will be that Allah will lighten his punishment not that he comes out of the hellfire but that his punishment in the hellfire will be a light punishment he will have the lightest punishment he will be in a shallow part of the hellfire As The people they said to The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam What have you done for your uncle Because Abu Talib He protected the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And protected the Muslims And his His presence and his protection Was a means of The Muslims being able to practice the religion According to their ability So he did do some good. However, he died upon disbelief. So the people, knowing that Abu Talib died upon the way of his father, Abdul Muttalib, they were basically taunting the Prophet. Like, here it is. He helped your religion. What you gonna do for him? And it is mentioned that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that if it not, if it was not for my dua for him, or my intercession for him, he will be in the lowest depths of the hellfire. So the Prophet wasallam by Allah's permission, will be allowed to intercede for his uncle, but only to lighten the punishment. Not for him to come out of the hellfire. Well, what is the point from this? The point is that the uncle refused to say, La ilaha, ilaha. that's the point. He was invited to Islam, and he refused, he rejected it. And he chose to die upon the way of the polytheists in Mecca. And the uncle, he kn- he knew for a fact that the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ was truly a prophet from Allah. He knew that. But due to him being afraid of what the people would say about him, like he was afraid that if he was to accept Islam That the people they said Oh he, he was afraid of death So he changed his religion He was worrying about the blame of the people So he remained upon the religion of his father And this story or this incident uh, Indicates many of affairs from it Or from them The dangers of having evil friends And bad companions Because they encourage you to do evil Also the dangers of being concerned About what the people are going to say Instead of being concerned about What does Allah want from His servant When it comes to pleasing Allah Or pleasing the people Always give precedence to pleasing Allah Because if you please Allah Allah can protect you from the people And Allah will suffice you against the people But if you displease Allah And seek to please the people If Allah decrees to punish you The people can't help you and Can't save you So that which is befitting Is that the Muslim He seeks to please Allah first and foremost And never should he Seek to please the people Instead of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Because if you strive to please the people Allah will entrust you to them He will leave you to them And again, they can't help you They can't benefit you Except by what Allah has decreed Another point, Allah feekum From that incident Is that we should never stop calling the people to Islam even when they are upon their deathbeds, we should continue to call them to Islam. Perhaps Allah will guide the person on their deathbed. Like in the case, when the Prophet ﷺ, he visited the house of a Jewish family. And there was a young, or there was a youth from the family who was, who was dying. And this youth used to work for the Prophet Wasallam. It was a Jewish, uh, a young a lad who used to work for the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and he's dying the prophet went to visit him sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the prophet sallallahu called him to la ilaha illallah and the boy he looked at his father as if to say like dad what should i do and the father looked at him and said atir abul qasim he said obey obey abul qasim abul qasim is the kunya of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, the father instructed his son to accept Islam. SubhanAllah. And he did so. And then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam walked out of the house saying, Alhamdulillah, All praise is due to Allah, who saved him from the hellfire by way of me. SubhanAllah. But the point of the shahid is that the Prophet didn't give up on that youth. He didn't say, Oh, well, he used to work for me. He seen my character. I spoke to him about Islam. He didn't accept it. He's dying. Okay, his affairs between him and Allah. No, the Prophet wouldn't visit him. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and spoke to the boy why he's on his deathbed. Alhamdulillah, Allah guided the boy to Islam. So the point is that when it comes to the call to Islam, we should never stop calling the people, especially those of us who have non-Muslim relatives. Continue to call them, but of course with wisdom. As Allah mentions, ila sabili Bil hikmati wal mawidatil hasana wa jadil Call to the way of your Lord with wisdom, with beautiful speech, and if you debate, debate with him in a manner that is best. So, we continue to call the people to la ilaha illallah. You know, using the different means and the different methods of teaching the people and calling them to Islam. So anyone who abandons or refuses to testify to la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah the person is not a muslim and there is no disagreement as it relates to the situation as for the remaining four pillars then the scholars they disagree as it relates to if a person abandons one of the four pillars some of the ulama they hold that if you abandon any of those pillars, the person has left the fold of Islam. Some say it's the salat and the zakat. Others say it's the salat. I mean, after the shahada, if a person abandons the salat, then the person has left the fold of Islam, and that's based upon the statement of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. الْأَهْدُ الَّذِي بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَهُمْ فَمَن تَرَكَهَا فَقَدْ كَفَرُ That the barrier or that which distinguishes between us and them is the prayer. So whoever abandons it, then he has disbelieved. Another narration, That which comes between... A person in polytheism and disbelief Is the abandonment of the prayer So some ulama have understood these narrations That if a person abandons the prayer Even if he acknowledges the obligation of the prayer That the person has left the fold of Islam And what's meant by abandonment of the prayer Meaning he doesn't pray at all Whatsoever Doesn't make no salats at all But you have some of the scholars of the past, they say even if the person left off one prayer intentionally, that's it. Allah protect us. But that which other scholars deem to be correct, and this is based upon the wording of the hadith, Tarku's Salah, the abandonment of the prayer means all of the prayer. Not tarqus Salatin, but tarqus Salah. The abandonment of deep prayer, not the abandonment of a prayer. So there's a difference between the two. So the Prophet said the abandonment of deep prayer, meaning the prayer in its entirety. Then you have other scholars, they say, as long as the individual acknowledges the obligation of the five daily prayers, but he does not pray them due to negligence, the person is still a Muslim. He doesn't pray at all, but he knows the prayer is obligatory part. You have scholars from Ahlul Sunnah they say no he's, he's still a Muslim, he's still within the fold of Islam. Huh? Well some say that. Some say obviously he's not a Muslim because he's not praying at all. Because the prayer distinguishes between the Muslim and the non Muslim. That again, yeah, but he accepted Islam before he died, but he didn't have a chance to pray. He accepted Islam and he died right after. There is a narration that mentions that there will come a time when the only thing that the people will know from the religion is Allah, Allah, or La ilaha illallah. So they asked this, this companion, no prayer, no fasting, no zakat, no hajj. Only thing is la ilaha illallah. So they said, how is, how is it going to benefit them? They don't pray, they don't fast. He says, It will save them from the hellfire. So the scholars, they say, See, look, no prayer, no fasting. The statement, la ilaha illallah, will save them from the hellfire. The other scholars respond to them by saying, No. They're not praying because they don't know what prayer is. Because the hadith mentions that the only thing that will be left from the religion at that time is the statement, La ilaha illallah. And they will say, we heard our forefathers saying this. This is, what we, this is how it reached us from our forefathers. So they're not praying because they don't know anything about the salah. They're not, they're not fasting because they don't know anything about fasting and the likes. So they say that hadith can't be used as a proof. That all you have to do is say La ilaha illallah, even if you don't pray, halas, that's it, you you're a believer. But there are different narrations that each side they use. And these narrations are authentic narrations. Yes. Sir. Yes. Even he take shahada, he No, he took a Shahada at the end. all the kids Okay, that can be addressed in a number of ways One, the Prophet himself said Alhamdulillah Aladhi All praise do to Allah the one who saved him from the hellfire by way of me So, what's understood is that had that boy died in that state, he would have gone to the hellfire. That's one. It's possible just because a person is a youth doesn't mean that the person is not in a state of puberty. You understand? Okay, Because somebody could be young, but they're in puberty. Right? Because how puberty is reached, either by reaching the age of 15, that's one way, Or, the sprouting of the pubic hairs. That's another way. Or, having a wet dream. If a child, if a young boy is ten years old, and he has a wet dream, he's, he's considered a balikh. He's, um, uh, yeah, an adult. Or, he's responsible now. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned, رُفِعْ الْقَلَمْ أَنْ ثَلَاثْْْْْْ. أَصْوَبِيْ حَتَى يَبْلُغْ وَأَنْ حَتَى يَسْتَيْقِظْ that the pen is lifted from three people or three types of people. The child until the child reaches puberty. So, if a, if a, and, and the last matter is for the females, uh, the monthly cycle. If a girl is nine years old and she starts to have her monthly cycle, she's baligar. She has to pray, she has to fast, she has to cover. It's not just the age of 15. And this is a mistake that we find parents making. Their daughters will start to have their uh, monthly cycles at an early age. But they don't obligate upon them the praying and the fasting until they reach 15. That's a mistake. Once the girl reaches, or once the girl starts to have her monthly cycle, she has reached the, uh, the state of puberty, she's responsible now The pen is no longer lifted for her Even though her age is young So it's possible the boy was young in age But he was in a state of puberty Then you have another narration that, uh, The Prophet was speaking about Those children who died Because Aisha radiallahu anha There was a child who died And Aisha, if she praised the child Said the child is in Jannah and the Prophet said, "What would make you know that?" And he said, "Allahu a'lam bi kanu amilin," that Allah knows best what they would have done had they got older. So there's a number of issues dealing with uh, people who, or children who die before reaching puberty. Now, so it's just not that clear cut. Generally speaking, the children of the Muslims will be in Jannah. Now, generally speaking. But we cannot say for sure regarding a specific individual. Because look at the boy from the story of Khidr and Musa. He was a boy. But Khidr, he took his life. Allah knew that when he gets older, he was going to be a disbeliever and a nuisance for his parents. So Allah wanted to remove him and bring another child in his place. But Musa, outwardly, it looked like Khidr was taking the life of an innocent boy. He wasn't innocent. Is it time? Now, inshallah, we'll stop at this point. Whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Whatever is incorrect is for myself. subhanaka allahumma Bihamdika hamdika an la ilaha illa anta istaghturuka wa atub.